Joe Biden does a bizarre interview with CNN. AOC releases a set of expensive t-shirts to decry capitalism. And Republicans are getting concerned over Georgia's Senate races. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. You have a right to privacy protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, you may have noticed that Joe Biden, the media ignored him like the entire election, because he wasn't an important person. He was just the not Trump person. He just sat in his basement being Joe Biden and saying incoherent things all the time. Well, there's only one problem. They now think that he's been elected president-elect of the United States. Obviously, the electors don't meet until the middle of December to certify the election forms and the, the election certifications from the various states and all of that. Yeah, but the media have declared that Joe Biden is the winner. And now they are starting to ask him questions. But there is one thing that is clear. They don't want to ask him anything tough. Every question for Joe Biden is going to be just some sort of massage for Joe Biden. So last night, he did this long-form interview with CNN with Kamala Harris sitting right there, looking a lot like Kathy Bates in misery with the hammer, just waiting to put the old man out of his misery. <laughs> a, lot of this, a lot of this interview was about the dynamic between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, in which Joe Biden kind of repeatedly kept saying to her, I'm going to leave soon, Kamala. And she was like, yes, yes, you are going to leave soon, aren't you, Joe? And so... The, the, the most telling moment of this interview came when Joe Biden was asked about his disagreements with Kamala Harris. Now, here's the thing. Kamala Harris has tried to morph herself into a decent vice presidential candidate. The reason she has done this is because, of course, she wants the power. She used to call Joe Biden a racist on public stages. She did this in the middle of a debate. She suggested he should step down after allegations of sexual harassment about Joe Biden. And then he picked her for VP. And suddenly she fell into line because she is just a craven, ambitious, terrible politician. She's really bad at this. And most, most politicians, to be fair, are craven and ambitious. But Kamala Harris happens to be extraordinarily overt about the fact that she is craven and ambitious. So she started mirroring all of Joe Biden's policy positions. But this only works if Joe Biden keeps saying to her, Kamala, I'll be gone soon. I'll be gone soon. So last night, this is the most bizarre moment I've seen by a president, by, by a presidential candidate ever, maybe. I mean, this one is so weird. And the fact that everybody just ignored it, that this isn't a main headline today, is beyond me. So Biden was asked about disagreeing with Kamala Harris. And here was his response. When we disagree, it'll be just like, so far, it's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C, or D. And I'll say, I, don't, I like A, don't like B and C. Mm -hmm. And let's go, okay. But, and I, like I told Barack, if, if, if I reach something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, what now? Huh? Okay, now it's one thing for him to say that to Barack Obama, that he would find a way to resign if he had a fundamental disagreement with Barack Obama. He's the one at the top of the ticket. Kamala Harris works for him. So is the basic idea here that if he disagrees with Kamala Harris, that he's going to develop a disease and resign? <laughs> like, does he even know what he's saying? I mean, this is the question. Is he incoherent or is he actually saying like, if I disagree with Kamala Harris, I guess I'm going to make my way out that door right there because I've fulfilled my lifetime goal of, uh, of entering the White House in the first place. It's pretty radical stuff. It's like, that's, that's kind of amazing because everybody knows that he's not serving two terms, right? I mean, this was sort of the foregone conclusion before him. We were supposed to ignore all of that. We're supposed to ignore the fact that he is not going to be a bulwark against the radical left, that at best, he is a temporary stopgap for mainstream Democrats against the radical left. But he's probably not even that because he is still caving to many of the sort of intersectional woke narratives 
that the radical left would want. See, yeah, there's something you have to understand about the Democratic Party. It used to be the Democratic Party was a party that was interested in broadcasting in the sense of like TV broadcasting. They were interested in broadcasting, like attempting to propagate a message that was going to win a majority of American voters, right? This was their thing. They were going to put out a message about broader progressive values and bigger government all across the land. Then in 2012, Barack Obama shifted how politics was done inside the Democratic Party. In, in 2012, Barack Obama lost about three and a half million votes from his performance in, in 2008. He had done a terrible job as president. The economy was stagnant. He had gotten us in a lot of hot water on foreign policy. He had led to the rise of ISIS already. He had pulled out precipitously from Iraq. He was making overtures to Vladimir Putin. And he had to come up with some explanation as to why his policies were so unpopular. And the explanation that Barack Obama came up with in 2010, 2011 was one that fit with his generalized worldview, which is if people did not like Barack Obama's policies, it was because they hated him personally. Now, there have been references to this in 2008 when Barack Obama had suggested that the reason people didn't like him is because I have a funny name. I look different than the other guys on the dollar bill. And well, in the 2012 election, he brought that out like full force. He said, we are not going to bother broadcasting. Instead, we are going to narrowcast. Instead of attempting to put out a broad message that maybe people will resonate to, we are going to go in and group by group, we are going to cobble together an intersectional coalition. And that intersectional coalition will be a minority-majority coalition that's going to be largely driven by extensive voter turnout from minority groups. And it worked. He went out 80% of the non-white vote in 2012, and he, he got the same percentage of the white vote, Barack Obama did in 2012, that Michael Dukakis got in 1988 when he lost about 87 states to George H.W. Bush. But thanks to the difference in demographics in the United States, Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney going away in that election, even after losing three and a half million votes. Okay, so Democrats were seduced by that vision. They were seduced by the vision that Barack Obama's coalition was capable of imitation. And Joe Biden has run a very similar sort of campaign to to Barack Obama in the sense that he was making overt plays for particular minority groups, an intersectional coalition. Now, what unified the intersectional coalition of Barack Obama were two things. One, Barack Obama's personal appeal, right? The man was charismatic. He also happened to be the first black president, which means that he got extraordinary black turnout in 2012. In fact, increased black turnout in places like Ohio basically meant that he won the election as opposed to losing the election to Mitt Romney. Like if, if, the, if the black turnout in 2012 had been the same as the black turnout in 2004, for example, then Mitt Romney would have been elected president in all likelihood. Okay, so Barack Obama in 2012, he was able to turn people out because of his unique personal appeal and also because he directed everybody against the Republicans by unifying them and saying the Republicans were going to take you back to the 50s, right? This was his pitch to the intersectional coalition. If you're gay, Republicans want to take away your ability to live with somebody who you love. If you are black, they're going to put you all back in chains, as Joe Biden himself said in 2012. If you're a Latino, Republicans are going to reinitiate Eisenhower's Operation Wetback. That was the name of natural operation and deport everybody in the United States who's an illegal immigrant. And Obama sort of passed out goodies to various interest groups and he cobbled together this coalition and his slogan was forward. We're moving forward from the evil vision of the Republicans of the 1950s and the 1980s. And, and Mitt Romney is returned to the past. Okay, in 2020, Joe Biden ran a fairly similar campaign, except that instead of saying that he was running against somebody who wanted to bring us back to the 1950s, he said, I'm running against somebody who wants to bring you back to the 1850s. He suggested that Donald Trump was the worst person who has ever been and whoever will be. And he cobbled together this intersectional coalition of anti-Trump people. Now, the problem is the only way that you can continue to maintain that coalition is by maintaining those intersectional priorities. You have to get more and more radical with each element of the intersectional coalition. And the real problem is that where Barack Obama could unite 
that intersectional coalition through sheer force of personality, Joe Biden doesn't have any ability to do so. So he is going to be forced to parcel out approval to a variety of these sort of smaller interest groups that he's glomming together in order to create his coalition. In other words, he doesn't run the coalition the way that Obama does. The coalition runs him. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the best gift you can get somebody this holiday season. I am talking about the steak. I'm talking about the meat. Omaha Steaks, over 100 years old, founded in 1917, is still a fifth-generation family-owned company. It's truly the definition of the American dream. Now, let me tell you what sets Omaha Steaks apart. So I'm a special person. That means they sent me a kosher steak last year. I still dream of this steak. We are talking juicy. We are talking mouth-watering. We are talking about tender, aged to perfection. And there's a reason. Not all beef is good enough to become an Omaha Steak. Their fifth-generation owner, Bruce Simon, still buys all the beef. It's his high expectations for quality that are the foundation of their great steaks. And then they age their beef longer than most for at least 21 days, if not longer. That's what makes for a more flavorful, more tender, and juicier steak. It costs them more to age it that long. It is absolutely worth it because this steak is absolutely delicious. If you're a steak person, it ain't going to get better than Omaha Steaks. Finally, they vacuum seal and, free, and flash freeze their, super, their steaks super quickly. That helps maintain that texture and flavor to lock in that perfection. So right now, right now, you can get a mouth-watering package plus four free burgers, and a free digital meat thermometer at an exclusive price available only to my listeners, a discount of over 50%. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code Shapiro into the search bar. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's a guaranteed fantastic gift, a great way to share the joy of the season. And don't forget, when you order that deluxe grillers assortment, you also get four free Omaha Steaks burgers and that free digital meat thermometer. Go check them out right now. That deluxe grillers assortment, it comes with entrees and sides and desserts. It's excellent, excellent stuff. Go to omahasteaks.com, use code Shapiro on that search bar to get the special deal. Okay, so Joe Biden is run by his intersectional coalition. And he thinks that the way that he's going to be able to please the intersectional coalition is by putting a few token place, faces in place. Okay, that, that is the kind of, when I say token, I'm not saying that because I think that you should select people based on race. I'm saying that because that's what Joe Biden believes. Democrats believe this. There's a whole line of thought inside the Democratic Party that he has to have a certain number of black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, gay people inside his cabinet. That somehow this quote unquote represents America. Now, last I checked, what represents America is a diversity of viewpoint because Americans disagree on a wide variety of issues. And also what represents America is the belief that individuals are more than simply their race or their ethnicity or their sexual orientation, but not according to Joe Biden. So Joe Biden, during the CNN interview last night, he says he's going to make sure that his cabinet looks like America, which I presume means that it's going to be 50% male and 72% white, right? I mean, it, or not, maybe not. Here's Joe Biden. This is going to be an incredibly diverse, I'm going to keep my commitment that the administration, both in the White House and outside in the cabinet, is going to look like the country. Every advocacy group out there is pushing for more and more and more of what they want. That's their job. My job is to keep my commitment to make the decisions. And when it's all over, people will take a look and say, I promise you, you'll see the most diverse cabinet representative of all folks, Asian Americans, African Americans, Latinos, LGBTQ across the board. Okay. So he says, you hear him say it right there. The coalition is going to come to me and they're going to say they want things. And then I'm just going to give it to them. <laughs> I'm just going to give them whatever they want. And that is the hope for the Democratic Party, is that they can put together this sort of progressive slash racially based coalition, this new emergent majority, and that they're going to paper over all of it with the veneer of progressivism. That's going to be what the glue that holds it together. That ain't going to hold it together because the problem is there are some pretty significant cross-cutting tensions inside that coalition. Those are cross-cutting tensions that, by the way, we're starting to fissure 
even during this election cycle. One of the reasons that Donald Trump won an increased share of the Hispanic vote is because the radical progressives inside the Democratic Party were pushing for things a lot of Hispanics didn't like. I would suggest that it also has something to do with the fact that the Democratic Party decided in this election cycle that because they wanted additional black turnout, they were going to solely and completely focus on black voters in a way that they didn't in 2012. Barack, there were complaints in 2012 when Barack Obama put together the intersectional coalition that he was pleasing every element of the coalition except for black Americans. There were articles at CNN about this. The, the article suggested that he was giving DACA to Latinos and he was giving same-sex marriage to gay Americans and that he was pushing forward policies for, for women, but he was basically ignoring black Americans and taking them for granted. And it didn't hurt him at all because, of course, Barack Obama was the first black president. And in his very personage, there was a, an idea that he was going to serve the interests of black Americans particularly. Again, th this is not me saying this. These are articles at CNN in 2012 talking about this. Joe Biden doesn't have the same ability to do that, obviously. There's no reason that black Americans should think that Joe Biden is going to stand for them any more than any of the other candidates on that stage, except that he was once hanging out with, with Barack Obama through sheer charity of Barack Obama. And so that means that in this election cycle, he went out of his way to attempt to paper over, for example, the violence and looting associated with Black Lives Matter rioting. It meant that, that he denounced his own crime bill from 1994. It meant that he picked Kamala Harris. Right? All of this was designed specifically in order to cater to the black voting base and turn them out at a higher rate. Well, a lot of Latinos probably looked at that and said, well, what about us? Like, why is it that you are catering to certain members of the intersectional coalition and not other members of the, the intersectional coalition? There are a lot of tensions roiling under the surface of this democratic coalition that was, for just a brief moment, united by anti-Trump sentiment. And I can't imagine that that coalition is going to last the long term. But Biden's strategy is that he's going to continue to try to paper over all of those divisions with that veneer of progressivism. So he's wrapping everything up into a ball, right? This is the goal. The goal is to wrap everything up into a ball. Racial justice, meaning the intersectional priorities. Racial justice is the same thing as sexual justice, is the same thing as climate change, is the same thing as economic progressivism, is the same thing as COVID policy. Now, for just a minute, if you think about that, it makes no sense. Right? It is a fact of the matter that various members of the intersectional coalition have very different views about these issues. So for example, if you're black, why in the world would you be in favor of illegal immigration? That makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, particularly if you're talking about blue collar black workers, many of whom are working in the same industries in which illegal immigrants are coming in and taking jobs. Why exactly would you be in favor of an illegal immigrant, a pro-illegal immigration policy from Joe Biden? You wouldn't be. But the goal of the Democrats is to obscure all divisions by directing everybody towards some sort of progressive utopia. I don't think that's going to work. And I think Joe Biden fears that's not going to work. So here is Joe Biden trying to pull this uh, sleight of hand, this, this bit of verbal leisure domain. Uh, this is clip eight, talking about how all of these crises are the same. They all serve the same purpose. This isn't going to work. It isn't. The irony is we have, we have four crises. The first crisis is COVID. Second is the economic close to recession and maybe worse. The third crisis is the, the inequity that exists and the racial inequity exists. And the fourth crisis is climate. Ironically, they all work for one another. The first time the American people looked out there and said, my Lord, I guess all those things I heard about, and even though I don't live in neighborhoods that have large black populations, I didn't realize police actually do those kind of things like I saw with George Floyd. Okay, so again, he's trying to say that everybody is on the same page. There is only one problem here. Not everybody is on the same page and kind of everybody inside the coalition knows it. So what you're going to get with Joe Biden and with Kamala Harris is an extraordinary amount of jockeying inside the Democratic coalition. 
you're going to get the, the Democratic Party basically riven from within, torn apart from within. And you can see it already happening in the form of the battle that is now taking place between the illustrious, honorable representative Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez D. bartending and, uh, and Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about the underwear that currently grace your tuchas. So you've had enough to deal with this year. Don't overthink those holiday gifts. Since we've all been living in sweatpants anyway, give your loved ones some pro-level Tommy John loungewear. So I'm wearing Tommy John underwear right now. Let me tell you, these things are spectacular. They are comfortable. They move with you. They are just great. This holiday season, Tommy John is making sure you can give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list and yourself with Tommy John's men's and women's loungewear. Say goodbye to those old stained, ugly sweatpants. Tommy John loungewear is luxuriously soft, guaranteed to fit perfectly with the same level of comfort and innovation that goes into everything Tommy John makes. It is my typical Shabbat wear. It's my Sabbath wear when I am not wearing a suit in shul. Plus, Tommy John's loungewear pajamas, underwear, they come in limited edition sets, perfect for giving, but they sell out quickly. Tommy John's customer favorite, hammock pouch underwear that puts a permanent end to sticking and chafing. It is back in stock. Order right now. Last time they sold out in six days. So make sure that you go take care of your business right now. There is no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. Order now. Go to tommyjohn.com slash Ben for 20 bucks off site wide for a limited time only. Get 20 bucks off for a limited time at tommyjohn.com slash Ben. Again, that is tommyjohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. Tommy John underwear, great for men, great for women. My wife wears them as well. They're just fantastic. Go check them out right now. TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Okay, so all of the coalitional politics of the, of the Biden coalition are about to break out into the open. And we've already started to see this with the battle between Senator Joe Manchin and, uh, and the illustrious representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez D. Twitch. I don't call her AOC because I've been informed that that's not nice, even though her actual Twitter handle is AOC. And even though she puts the initials AOC on her, on her own brand of clothing, as we'll discuss in, in just one moment. So Senator Joe Manchin in the Senate, much more powerful, much more important figure than, uh, than Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. The Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez Justice Democrats, that is not a large-scale group of people inside the House of Representatives. It, it, it takes up an enormous amount of mental energy from the media because the media fap to it, but that, that is not because they are actually extending any sort of power inside the House. They don't have that much power inside the House. The number of Justice Democrats or people who are associated with the Justice Democrats, I believe it's under a dozen members of the House right now. And she has not pushed forward any major legislation to any real effect. She's built no coalitions. She's launched primaries against people. And sometimes those primaries have been successful for her. More often, they have not. Very often, she has gotten candidates to, uh, to a level of uh, unsuccess that is, that is absolutely stunning. Moderate Democrats have done better across the country, particularly in purple races, than any of the Justice Democrat-backed candidates. In any case, Senator Joe Manchin, Last week, he took a jab at AOC's abilities as a lawmaker, according to the New York Post, describing her as, quote unquote, more active on Twitter than anything else, which, of course, is 100 percent true. Manchin was specifically responding to AOC posting a photo to Twitter last month in which she could be seen staring daggers at the West Virginia senator as he looked away. And Manchin said, quote, I guess she put the dagger stare on me. I don't know the young lady. I really don't. I never met her. I'm understanding she's not that active with her bills or in committee. She's more active on Twitter than anywhere else. We're not going to defund the police. We're not for the Green New Deal. That's not going to happen. We're not for Medicare for all. We can't even pay for Medicare for some. Okay, and this, of course, ticked off AOC. A spokesperson for AOC then told the New York Post, the Congresswoman had submitted more than more amendments than 90% of other freshman lawmakers. Wow, amendments. Woo-hoo-hoo. Well, then. That's definitely coalition building. By the way, submitting an amendment just means that you basically go to House leadership and you're like, I'd like to add this to the bill. And House leadership says, no, that's crazy. And then you go back to your office. The spokeswoman also noted that Ocasio-Cortez had missed fewer votes than Manchin. AOC spokeswoman Lauren Hitt said the congresswoman has earned a reputation as a tough, prepared member in committee hearings. 
Okay, also, he is not, Manchin is not the first person to go after her, obviously. Very quickly after the election, Abigail Spanberger suggested that the defund the police sloganeering that was being pushed by people like the Honorable Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez had, um, had basically nearly cost Democrats the House, that they nearly cost Spanberger her, her congressional seat because they were pushing radical insanities like defund the police. Well, now she is firing back. So she, she tweeted back at Joe Manchin, quote, I find it amusing when politicians try to diminish the seriousness of our policy work, movement organizing and grassroots fundraisings to she just tweets, as though serious politics is only done by begging corporate CEOs for money through wax-sealed envelopes delivered by Raven. Okay, so um, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly what, what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He's not saying that your, your economic proposals are completely useless and going nowhere. He is saying that he's really mad that you use the interwebs. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. But here is the thing. The momentum is not with Joe Manchin. The momentum is not with Joe Manchin. And should the Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wing of the Democratic Party gain ascendancy, which again, they have in the media, I would not be surprised to see somebody like Joe Manchin, who I believe is up for re-election in 2022, switch parties in the same way that there was a a, a senator named Jim Jeffords uh, from, I believe, New Hampshire way back in the day uh, who who switched parties. Uh, You could see that happening because West Virginia is a very red state. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez doesn't care about any of that because she is into the posturing and she is part of the intersectional coalition. And the problem for the Democrats, again, is that there is no energy for Joe Biden per se. All of the energy inside the Democratic caucus is not coming from the policy-minded progressive wing of the Democratic Party. It is coming from the intersectional identity politics coalitional wing of the Democratic Party. Those are the people who they need agitated. Those are the people the Democrats need roiled. They want to channel that energy. Now, I will say that that Manchin's critique of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, it seems somewhat accurate in light of the fact that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez does spend most of her time on social media. Now, here's the thing about spending time on social media. I also spend a lot of time on social media. I also am not an elected congressperson. I'm a political commentator. That's literally my job. Her job may involve some of the tweeting, but every once in a while, you would assume that you'd want to actually hold a meeting with people to push legislation, but... That's not something she's interested in. Instead, apparently, she's interested, again, in making a quick buck for her campaign off of rubes, off of suckers. Politics is such a, it, it is such a dirty con game. It really is. There's so many grifters in politics who are simply seeking to, to make a buck and get famous off of not even providing you with an opinion or providing you with a service or a good that you enjoy, but simply off of making you promises that are unfulfillable and then getting you to become billboards for them. I'll get to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's t-shirts in just one moment because it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular. But first, let us talk about something that will give you energy. So if you have been lacking energy these days, and let's face it, who is not? I mean, you've been locked in your house for months on end. It's winter. It's getting cold outside. It's easy to run out of energy. Well, this is why you need Super Beats. Super Beats Soft Chews. They combine non-GMO beets with a powerful new ingredient, grapeseed extract. The grapeseed extract used in Super Beets Chews has been clinically shown to be twice as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. Super Beets Chews promotes heart-healthy energy the way nature intended without caffeine or stimulants. Now you can take just two delicious chews a day, anytime, anywhere, to get the blood pressure support you need and the energy you want. This holiday season, when you buy a bag of Super Beets Chews, you can get a second for 50% off plus free shipping when you make your purchase at GetSuperBeats.com. Slash Shapiro. That is getsuperbeats.com slash Shapiro. Get superbeats right now. One of the things that we do to test the awareness of our own staff is we just wake them up in the middle of the night. And if they're energetic, we know they've been taking 
They're super beats. Right now, go get superbeats.com slash Shapiro and you get a 50% off deal for your second bag of super beats plus free shipping when you make your purchase at getsuperbeats.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Raise that energy level and do so in healthy fashion. Okay, so I, I would, I have to point out what was, you know, just it is the greatest indicator of the unworkability of the Democratic coalition that Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and Joe Manchin are expected to occupy the same space. And in fact, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has said this. Right? She has said, I don't understand why Joe Manchin and I are part of the same party. Nobody does. It doesn't make any sense. And when you look at the, the forward thinking of the Democratic Party, it doesn't look like Joe Biden. It doesn't look like Joe Manchin. It looks like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Again, partially because Barack Obama put the Democratic Party on this trajectory in 2012 when he decided not to push for a broadly popular policy platform. He instead decided to abandon that entire aspect of politics and focus in on identity groups and then empower those identity groups and empower the radicals among the identity groups with promises of glory. That coalition would be directed against the status quo. There were these two kind of conflicting ideas inside democratic circles for decades that had been kind of papered over because that conflict was, was not really, it was not available for remedy. There was, there was no way to rectify the breach. One idea was that government was all powerful and could solve all your problems. And the other was that government was racist and terrible and was initiated in sin and therefore everything needed to be torn to the ground. Barack Obama somehow squared that circle by essentially saying both. Right, government is all powerful, but only if I run it. Because you see, I am a rebel from within the system. And because I am the rebel from within the system, you should trust me. Well, nobody can characterize Joe Biden as the rebel from within the system, which means that he is currently standing atop a powder keg because he has emboldened all the people who want to tear down the system and simultaneously claim that he can fix all your problems with government. And that is not capable of, uh, of, of being held. That is not, that is not a, a gap that can be bridged. Anyway, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she is uh, out to make a quick buck off of her sloganeering nonsense. So one of the great things about capitalism is that socialists love making money off of capitalism. Everybody loves making money off of capitalism. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez started pitching her new line of gear. Now, she's a congressperson. Okay, like we here at Daily Wire, we sell gear too. For example, we have a new sweatshirt. We have a new sweatshirt that we are going to discuss in just one second at Daily Wire, but that's because that's what we do for a living. And Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has her own woke store so a couple of examples from the woke store for Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. So she has a sweatshirt. The sweatshirt says, tax the rich upon it. Okay, and this, this sweatshirt, tax the rich with the little AOC slogan over there. I mean, this is, this is a great buy for you. Okay, it's available at the Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez store. The lady who hates capitalism and says it's exploitative and evil. It is made in the United States. It is union printed. Is 100% cotton. It is a gender neutral fit. It says tax the rich. It is $58. $58. I mean, what a deal. So you can demonstrate how much you hate capitalism by spending $58 on a sweatshirt. Tax the rich. The only person who can afford this is somebody who's rich. Can you just imagine a bunch of poor people who just spent like half their daily salary minimum on, on a tax the rich sweatshirt to pitch AOC's brand of bullcrap? It's amazing. Like, good for her. Seriously, anybody can make it in America. It's pretty fantastic. Okay, and um, I, I did offer an alternative to the Tax the Rich sweatshirt, by the way. We decided not to go with it. We, we went with a different sweatshirt here at Daily Wire. Um, the, the one that I suggested in response to Tax the, reach, uh, tax the Rich was um, leave me the f alone. But we decided not to go with that one here at Daily Wire. Instead, we went with our response, which is cheaper than AOC's 
garbage sweatshirt. It says, insert woke slogan. Because, I mean, we'll charge you less for that. And that way it serves all your purposes, right? You can do all the same things that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants you to do, right? You can signal your support for a bunch of, for a basket of crappy policies. It is also 100% cotton. It is also made in the United States. It is also a gender neutral fit. And it is cheaper than AOC's socialism sweatshirt because it turns out that capitalism is always better than socialism. Free markets drive down the price and increase the quality. Tax the rich is not as good. It's not as useful as a slogan that says insert woke slogan because see ours, it's appropriate for any occasion. We have this insert woke slogan sweatshirt. And then if it's Black Lives Matter today, it doesn't matter. You don't have to change your sweatshirt, right? It just counts. If it says tax the rich today, it doesn't matter. You can still wear the insert woke slogan sweatshirt and you are good to go. Okay, but I just love the fact that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, critic of the evils of capitalism, is selling on her website a $58 sweatshirt that says, insert, uh, that says tax the rich. Spectacular, spectacular stuff. Okay, but that was not, that, that's not the only stuff that, that AOC is selling on her website. She is also selling a t-shirt. It is a, a t-shirt of herself. It is an imitation of a painting called, the Green, uh, called Wanderer Above a Sea of Fog. This is a very influential romantic era painting in which it showed originally a man standing on a rock looking over a sea of fog. And the basic idea was that enlightenment ideals could allow man to scale the heights and then survey the vistas. So Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, being her own biggest fan, has now commissioned a painting of Alexander Ocasio-Cortez standing on that same rock, looking out over a beautiful vista, like the cover of the Pocahontas VHS. And above it, it says, The Green New Deal. That one will only cost you $27. So you can love AOC nearly as much as AOC loves AOC for just $27. Okay, also, she has put out a great t-shirt. It says student debt, but it's crossed out. That's all the t-shirt is. Okay, first of all, you could get this for like seven bucks on Amazon. You know, let's just be real about that. Right, this is like the cheapest t-shirt in history to produce. It's one color, it doesn't have multi-colors on it. Any case, it's a student debt, but it's crossed out with a black line. So instead of paying back your student debt, Instead of taking that $27 and paying down your debt and being a responsible person since you voluntarily took out the debt in the first place, instead, you could give AOC's campaign $27 to promote her bullcrap and never pay back your student loan debt. Sounds awesome. Okay, but that's not even the most expensive item in the AOC market. Okay, the most expensive item is this extraordinary sweatshirt from Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Just a wonderful sweatshirt. Social, economic, and racial justice. Okay, those are just words. Thank you for that. Social, economic, and racial justice, AOC. Okay, now, um, all, it will t all it will cost you to demonstrate how virtuous you are by wearing a sweatshirt that says social, economic, and racial justice, all it will take you is uh, $65. Nothing says economic justice and social justice like spending $65 on a sweatshirt. Nothing. That is stellar, stellar stuff. The entitlement mentality of the very critics of capitalism who then use capitalism in order to make bucks is pretty, it's pretty spectacular stuff. And the self-pitying nature of all of this is also pretty spectacular. AOC sees herself as this messianic figure inside the Democratic Party. She's going to push for hope and change in Barack Obama true fashion. But she also really pities herself a lot. So last night, she tweeted out, the thing conservative senators don't seem to understand is I've actually had a physically difficult working class job without good health care most of my adult life. I bring that work ethic to Congress and my community. They sit around on leather chairs all day. Yeah, she had a tough guys because uh, she was a waitress. Okay, so my dad worked in a restaurant for hmm, 20 years, 20 years. And most of the people he was friends with were waiters and waitresses. Okay, that is, in fact, a difficult job. And guess what? A huge number of Republicans did not start off as senators. Actually, you know who 
has been sitting in a leather chair all day since 1973, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was elected to Senate in 1973. So she might want to direct her ire elsewhere. Also, quick note on AOC. You got to love the political incoherence of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez calling for Medicare for all. She says she didn't have health care, right? That she's had a physically difficult working class job without good health care most of her adult life. Okay, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, is thir- she's 31 years old. She's 31, right? That means that in 2010, I think her birthday, I, I looked this up yesterday for purposes of this tweet. Uh, I believe that her birthday was is sometime in October, I think. So she is 31 years old. That means that she was 20 when Obamacare passed. I thought Obamacare was going to solve all of our problems, guys. I thought Obamacare was like the greatest thing to ever happen to healthcare. She has been her entire adult life living under the auspices of Obamacare. So what is she talking about? She doesn't have health care. I thought Obamacare solved all the problems. Now, subtle slap at Barack Obama there, AOC. Okay, in any case, is this coalition capable of being held together? I don't think so. I think they've got some real problems inside that coalition. But only if Republicans can get their bleep together. <laughs> this is the problem. Republicans actually have to get their bleep together. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that there are a lot of people out there who are looking for your information. There are hackers out there looking for your online information. And your ISP is using your information in order to make money off of you. In fact, big social media websites, they take your information and they monetize it, even while, in many cases, they discriminate against your point of view. Well, this is why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Now, many of you might be wondering, well, if I'm routing all my data through a VPN, doesn't that just mean the VPN can see what I'm doing and log my data instead? You're right to think that. Many VPNs claim to have a no-logs policy but have been caught logging customer activity. ExpressVPN is the only VPN I trust because they use trusted server technology. They were the first major VPN provider to engineer all of their VPN servers to run in RAM, which makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store any data, including logs of any ExpressVPN customer. You don't have to take my or ExpressVPN's word for it, ExpressVPN is so confident in their no-logs claim, they even had one of the biggest assurance firms in the world, PricewaterhouseCooper, audit their technology. So stop letting people keep logs of what you do online and stop making yourself available for a hack. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben right now. Find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Again, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Okay, we're going to get to Republicans and how they can hold their bleep together because you cannot give these people power. You cannot give them power. Even for a short period of time, you cannot give them power. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, if you are not already a Daily Wire member, now is the time to join. We've got some incredible stuff right around the corner. Starting today, December 4th, the Michael Moles Show is going five days a week with more content for our members to enjoy. Wait, that's the incredible stuff we have around? Oh, no, no, we have more incredible stuff around the corner. It can't just be Knowles. We're adding the entire PragerU catalog to dailywire.com by the end of the year. We've already uploaded all of PragerU's five-minute videos. The Candace Owens Show from PragerU, Michael Moles' Book Club. The rest of the library is being added as we speak. Kind of important because YouTube has been taking some of these videos down. Also, early next year, the inimitable Candace Owens is joining The Daily Wire here in Nashville. She'll be launching a brand new DW show in front of a live studio audience. Nothing like it has been done on the right. Also, we are launching our first feature film under Daily Wire's upcoming entertainment channel. I can't tell you how excited I am about us moving into the space. We need to challenge the left in the cultural space. They've taken over the cultural space. We're going to be launching movies that directly compete like R-rated movies with people whose names you know. We're going to be doing that here at Daily Wire. Also, we are building a new investigative journalism team to replace that legacy media cartel. So if you don't like the media, come here for your replacement media. Go outside the narrative. Come on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe where we are having a good time and challenging the left on their own terms. Also, if you have not yet ordered them, check out our Daily Wire Christmas ornaments. Yes, that's all of us, including me, the Orthodox Jew. 
Plus, God King Jeremy Boring, as Santa's adorable elves made out of painted metal. So you get demon Michael Moles, you get skull Andrew Clavin, you get an Orthodox Jew, and you get two beardies in, uh, in Matt Walsh and, and Jeremy Boring, who are about to have a religious war between Protestants and Catholics. You get all of that on your Christmas tree when you, uh, when you text Christmas to 83400 to get your tree decorated. They are going fast. Get yours right now. Also, this weekend, we have a fantastic, fantastic Sunday special with J.D. Vance. He's the author of Hillbilly Elegy. That movie just came out on Netflix. The critics are ripping it up and down. The reason they are? Because they think it's a conservative slash libertarian film. We'll talk with J.D. about all of that stuff. Here's a little bit of the trailer. People have to be able to hold two thoughts in their head at the same time. Um, you can believe that people have very tough circumstances and that we as a society have a responsibility to give opportunity and hope to people, no matter the circumstances they came from. And it, then on the other hand, that people still have some responsibility and some personal agency despite rough personal circumstances, right? You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So as I keep saying, the Democratic coalition, that coalition is extraordinarily fragile. And the, the predictable effect of, of the coalition being very fragile is that there has to be a cram down in the cultural sphere in order to get you to shut up. And they need to shut you up. There is a reason why cancel culture has become such a thing over the past few years. And the answer is when you have a really fragile coalition, that coalition can only be held together so long as there is not a majority, a loud and vocal majority that is rejecting certain aspects of the coalitional of the coalitional agenda. So for example, you're trying to create a coalition as a Democrat between black Democrats and gay Democrats and Asian Democrats, and you push an item that most Americans don't like very much. So let's say that you are in an attempt to placate the LGBT group inside your coalition. What you do is you say, okay, from now on, we are all adding pronouns to our profiles. And we are also going to try to pass legislation to suggest that men can go into women's locker rooms and, and vice versa, so long as they believe they're members of the opposite gender. And most Americans go, that sounds crazy. We're not going to do that. Well, what you then have to do is you have to get involved in the cultural sphere and cram down those views on everybody else. You have to shut people up in, in order to engage in cultural renormalization. And that's why you have seen over the past few years so much attempt inside corporations and inside the media and inside the halls of, of academia and on social media to actually shut people up who have various opinions on these issues. Because if ever the silenced majority were to get together and just say no to any of this, then the Democratic coalition would start to fracture because they'd have to make a choice. Do they want to win a majority of the vote by, jet by jettisoning some of their more radical policy proposals? Or do they want to continue to placate the intersectional coalition at the cost of maybe losing a majority? So they have to shut people up. That, that is a big thing. They must shut people up. Well, that means that the way you fight back against this stuff is by not shutting up, not just on the cultural level, but also politically. In other words, do not let Democrats have a majority in the Senate of the United States. Do not let them take over the cultural milieus that run the country. Don't let them do any of this. This is why it is so unbelievably stupid that Republicans are even talking about right now the possibility of not voting in Georgia. This is crazy. So I'm not going to cite polls to you because polls are very often wrong. But I'm now about to cite a poll to you, okay? Just because it does demonstrate that what we are talking about in Georgia, at least the only information we have is that this is not a blowout on behalf of Republicans. We have two races. One is against Raphael Warnock, who is a, an extraordinarily radical candidate. 
I mean, this is a Jeremiah Wright fan. He has spoken out in defense of Jeremiah Wright, suggesting that 9-11 was the chickens coming home to roost. He said that was a great speech. Raphael Warnock has suggested that America is a racist country. He's extraordinarily radical. He's a full-on Jeremiah Wright type character who is now running for the United States Senate. Okay, he's running for one seat. The other person running is John Ossoff, who's a trust fund socialist. His parents are very rich. They got him a house in Washington, D.C. He's basically been a career useless person like Beto O'Rourke. And now he is running once again. He, he ran for Congress and lost against Karen Handel. Then he ran again and he lost for some other office. And now he is running, he, he ran again and he, and he lost against David Perdue. But the problem is David Perdue didn't get over 50%. And so they now have to rerun that race because in Georgia, you have to win over 50% in a Senate race in order to enter the United States Senate. Right now, he, he, he ran a very narrow race against Purdue, is separated by less than two percentage points. Raphael Warnock was, was in what they call a jungle primary, meaning that everybody is voting for every candidate. Right? It's not just like a Democratic primary and a Republican primary. It's a primary where everybody can vote for any candidate. And Warnock actually ended up with the most votes in that because Republicans split their vote. He won something like 33% of the vote in that so-called jungle primary. That's, that's literally the name of the primary. And, um, and so he was the front runner there. And now, according to a new poll, from Survey USA and WXIA in Atlanta, the poll shows Ossoff narrowly leading Purdue 50 to 48 and showing Warnock holding a lead over Kelly Loeffler, the GOP senator in Georgia. Okay, that's, that's nuts. That's nuts. Now, I'm going to take all that polling with a grain of salt. I think Republicans still have an institutional advantage. But if you guys don't go out and vote because you are pissed off at the way that Georgia's voting has gone presidentially, you are shooting yourself directly in the foot. There is no rationale for this whatsoever, which is why on Wednesday, a group of 19 prominent Georgia Republicans, including former Governor Nathan Deal and two former U.S. Senators, Saxby Chambliss and Johnny Isaacson, issued an open letter warning the focus on fraud allegations could, quote unquote, detract from the runoffs, which will determine which party controls the U.S. Senate. They wrote, quote, we have watched with increasing concern as the debate surrounding the state's electoral system has made some within our party consider whether voting in the coming runoff election matters. They warned that if Republicans didn't turn out, the trajectory of our state and nation will be irreparably altered on January 5th. And that, of course, is exactly right. This comes directly on the heels of Lynn Wood, who apparently is a crazy person, and Sidney Powell, who appears to be more and more of a crazy person, suggesting that Republicans should skip the Senate elections because they're so pissed off at what they think happened to Trump in Georgia. And listen, I'm not even saying they shouldn't be pissed off over what happened with, with Trump in Georgia. You, you can be pissed off if you want to be. I mean, I, I will tell you that I don't see widespread proof of voter fraud in Georgia. I'm going to talk in a second about a video that's been making the rounds and the sort of the sort of countervailing claims that are now being made by the state of Georgia because that's that's been making a lot of headlines. But if your solution to anything that happened in Georgia is, oh, let's put the Democrats in charge of the Senate, you're a crazy person. That is a completely nutty, batty proposition. Nobody should be standing in favor of that. Nobody. If Republicans lose those two Senate races in Georgia, because they were so frustrated by how Trump was treated in Georgia. That's not just cutting off your nose to spite your face. That's cutting off your head to spite your face. It's committing political suicide to spite your face. It's, it's just, it's patently nuts that people are even considering that. Okay, now, as far as people being pissed off at what, what is happening in Georgia, I am here to provide you only the full story. So a very suspicious tape emerged last night. This is a tape that was presented by an election lawyer in Georgia. And this, this election video that was then blasted out to social media by Team Trump supposedly showed some election workers in Georgia clearing the room, telling people to, poll workers and, and observers, to leave the room, and then pulling out suitcases filled with ballots from underneath a table. 
and then running them through the counting machines while there was no one there to observe, right? This was the allegation that was being made. There was some of that video being narrated by this, uh, by this Georgia lawyer. So now they're going to start pulling these ballots out from under this table. This table, the black one, was placed there by the lady with the blonde braids at about 8.22 a.m. in the morning. So she put that table there. So the same person who's staying behind now, the same person who cleared the place out under the pretense that we're going to stop counting, is the person who put the table there at 8.22 in the morning. Yeah, I saw four suitcases come out from underneath the table. Okay, and then the suggestion is that she hid basically all of these fake ballots underneath the table. She took the ballots out. She started handing them to the poll workers, and the poll workers started processing these ballots. And then because they did this hour after hour on end, these are all fraudulent. Now, on the surface, it looks really bad, right? I mean, if you just look at the tape and you listen to the narration, that looks pretty terrible and deserving of a full investigation. And it should be fully investigated because any allegation of that sort ought to be fully investigated all the way down to the ground. Now, the countervailing story is being told by, a, by, by some Georgia folks over at leadstories.com, Alan Duke and Haley Golden. And here's what they write. Does security camera video show a Fulton County, Georgia election supervisor suspiciously pulling suitcases filled with ballots from under a table after telling poll workers to leave the room? Did that election official continue to illegally count ballots without required monitors in a manner that calls into question Joe Biden's narrow win over Donald Trump in Georgia? According to lead stories, no, those claims are not true. Two high-level officials with the Georgia Secretary of State's office and a state elections board monitor each told lead stories their investigations revealed nothing suspicious in the video. The officials said the ballots seen in the video were in regular ballot containers, not suitcases, and they'd been removed from their envelopes and processed while news media and election observers for the Republican Party and Trump campaign were present. The media and party observers were never told to leave because counting was over for the night but they apparently followed workers who left once their job of opening envelopes was completed. The chief investigator for the Secretary of State told these stories. The observers were free to return at any time, she said. Georgia law allows observers, but does not require them to be there for ballots to be counted. Those claims were originally made, of course, at this hearing before the Georgia State Senate. Gabriel Sterling, a Republican, Georgia's voting system implementation manager, told lead stories during a phone call that what can be seen on the video is normal procedure and nothing looks, quote unquote, bizarre or odd. He said election workers known as cutters because their job was to open absentee ballot envelopes and verify ballots for eventual scanning and counting were dismissed for the night sometime after 10 p.m. on November 3rd because they were done. Those workers who remained were responsible for conducting the scanning portion of the process because ballots couldn't be left without being scanned overnight. He said, if you look at the videotape, the work you see is the work you would expect, which is you take the sealed suitcase, looking things, you place the ballots on the scanner in manageable batches and you scan them. Francis Watson, the chief investigator for the Georgia Secretary of State, told these stories during a phone call on December 3rd, 2020. The ballots were in standard containers. The work during the time in question had nothing to do with pulling ballots from under a table. She said there wasn't a bin that had ballots in it under the table. It was an empty bin. The ballots from it were actually out on the table when the media were still there. Then it was placed back into the box when the media were still there and then placed next to the table a little bit later. There was never an announcement made to the media and other observers about the counting being over for the night and them needing to leave, according to Watson, who's provided information by the media liaison who was present. She said she just followed the cutters as they left. She said nobody told them to stay. Nobody told them to leave. Nobody gave them advice on what they should do. They could stay or they could leave. And there is no actual requirement that people be in the room. It just gives them the right to be in the room. A state election board monitor who asked for his name not to be used due to safety concerns, told lead stories that he was present at the vote counting location beginning at 11.52 p.m. After leaving briefly earlier in the evening, he stayed until about 12.45 a.m. when the work that night was completed. The deputy chief investigator for the Secretary of State's office was present beginning at about 12.15 a.m. on November 4th. The election monitor also told lead stories between 8 p.m. on November 3rd 
1243 a.m. on November 4th when they stopped counting, the scanners had scanned about 10,000 ballots, which uh, again is not the 12,000 ballot gap. So who do you choose to believe there? The lawyer who is showing you the tape or the person who's explaining the tape from the other side? I don't know the answer to that. A full investigation seems necessary. And I understand why people would be suspicious. I certainly do. But it is imperative to get to the bottom of it without jumping to conclusions. And no matter what your conclusions are on that, don't not vote for Republicans in Georgia. Hell's wrong with you. Why would you not vote for the Republican in Georgia? Because you are ticked off at what happened in Georgia because you think Democrats, so, so your idea here is Democrats stole the election in Georgia, so give them control of the Senate? That's the logic there? That is, that is one hell of a hot take. That, that may be the hottest take I've ever heard. That, that take is so piping hot that it actually just outshone the sun and burned up the universe, that take. Really, really solid stuff there. How about this? How about we don't do that? How about go out and vote against Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, no matter what you think of David Perdue or Kelly Loeffler? Meanwhile, the Michigan Attorney General came out and said, listen, if Detroit vote count observers are saying that illegality went on, they should file criminal complaints. They should go down to the police station. They should file criminal complaints. Dana Nessel said last night, Americans watched as Michigan Republicans used tax dollars to sponsor an event wherein a representative called witnesses brave and courageous for calling Detroit one of the most corrupt cities in America and making baseless debunked attacks on our elections. And then she said, you have embarrassed our state and defamed Michigan's most populous city. I call on the Republicans to renounce these statements or take any evidence of election law violations to the various attorney's offices for investigation. Put up or shut up. Now, it is perfectly legit to present this information in front of a House committee if you're trying to convince legislators to switch your vote. It is also the case that full investigations should be initiated into anything credible, no matter what. And she points out, Matthew Schneider, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, which has Detroit within its jurisdiction, is a Trump appointee who previously served as chief deputy under AG Bill Schwulet. So why exactly aren't they filing lawsuits? And the answer is they should be filing lawsuits. Right? They should actually be filing criminal complaints if what they believe happened happened. That would be the way to stop this if you actually want the election over. I keep saying this. There's stuff that you do for PR, and then there's stuff you do to actually overturn the purported results of the election. If you want this stuff overturned, you got to prove it in court. It's not enough just to have open hearings. You have to prove it in court. So go out and do it. Like, seriously, now. At the very least, stop encouraging people not to vote for Republicans in runoff Senate races in Georgia, for God's sake. Okay. Meanwhile, COVID continues to rack the nation. The numbers on COVID are rising all over the place. Uh, there was indeed a post-Thanksgiving spike, as far as uh, we can tell at this point. So I was kind of hopeful late last week, and I, and I mentioned it, and even early this week, that there might not be this giant Thanksgiving spike in terms of total diagnosed cases, because there seemed to be sort of a peak in mid-November, and then it came down all the way to the beginning of December. But it now seems that it is jumping again in the aftermath of Thanksgiving, as many of the, uh, as many of the critics predicted. So well, full disclosure to them, you know, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And it looks like we are about to enter another peak here. Uh, and maybe that has something to do with Thanksgiving and people acting irresponsibly. And maybe it has to do with the fact that these stay-at-home orders are simply not effective. And these mask mandates, which have been in place in places like California for a long, long time, uh, that those are not effective either. Nonetheless, California is once again going into full-scale lockdown. I mean, full-on total lockdown. According to the New York Times, California, the first state to impose far-reaching lockdowns because of COVID, announced on Thursday its strictest new measures since the earliest days of the pandemic in an effort to keep a surge in cases from overwhelming hospitals. Governor Newsom said the new round of regional stay-at-home orders would take effect as ICU beds filled up. Millions of people across Southern and Central California are likely to see outdoor dining shuttered. Again, there's no evidence that shows that outdoor dining is conveying disease. There is none. If you are outdoors, it is not the same as being indoors. 
They're going to rope off playgrounds. Again, playgrounds, not a vector for the disease. Surface-to-surface transmission, like you touched a thing because somebody else had touched it. That is not a main source of transmission. Early on, there was a lot of talk about how you had to use Lysol and wipe down everything you got from the grocery store and all this. And it turned out that that was wildly overblown. Roping off playgrounds for children who are the least vulnerable to COVID makes no sense at all. Hair salons will be closed within days if the available ICU capacity in these areas dips below a 15% threshold. By the way, hardest hit, Nancy Pelosi, who is always up for a visit to the hair salon. The new restrictions will last for at least three weeks. Strictly limit store capacity, allow restaurants to serve only takeout or delivery. The governor also said people should temporarily call off all non-essential travel. He said, if we don't act now, our hospital system will be overwhelmed. If we don't act now, we will continue to see our death rate climb. This is the same kind of stuff they tried back in March and April. They had mask mandates in place for a very long time. California never really reopened. It didn't seem to help very much because California is getting hit really, really hard. California has now recorded 1.2 million virus cases and 19,468 deaths. On Thursday, Newsom delivered a grim tally via remote video. He said that California is seeing its sharpest increase in cases since the pandemic took hold. Even as its coronavirus prevention measures have become more stringent, some early measures such as mask wearing were voluntary. If hospitalization rates keep soaring, California's 40 million residents could all be under new stay-at-home orders by Christmas, which is just incredible. People are pushing back because, of course, as it turns out, these stay-at-home orders have not been wildly effective. They have not. People can be reasonable. People can make reasonable decisions. But again, this all falls part and parcel as part of the broader COVID take by Democrats, which is that if you just shut everything down, you'll magically make the virus go away. So last night on CNN, Joe Biden talked about COVID and he actually suggested a bunch of things that are anti-scientific. He said, we cannot open elementary schools, which is just a teacher's union talking point. It happens not to be true. We can safely open those elementary schools where the highest risk of people transmitting the disease, number one. Number two, we can make it safe for teachers if we invest in what needs to be done. Number one, sanitizing the schools. Number two, making sure that they have ventilation. Number three, making sure there's smaller pods of children, meaning you need more teachers. You gotta pay for this stuff. It was estimated that we could open those schools for somewhere around $100 billion nationwide. Okay, um, so that is, um, that is not correct, okay? That, that elementary schools are supposed to remain closed because they don't have precautions in place or anything like that. Again, my kids have been in elementary school for months at this point. There have been no outbreaks. The middle school, where my kids go, because uh, it, it goes K through eight, the middle school has been open. They have had some cases. People have been sent home. And then people who are associated with them were sent home. And then they came back a couple of weeks later, and that was the end of it. The, the, even Anthony Fauci doesn't believe this. Anthony Fauci believes the schools should be open. Fauci, right? He, a guy who reversed himself several times. Fauci said the schools should be open. But Biden has a solution. Don't, don't worry. He has a solution. His solution is he's going to ask you to wear a mask. That was his big plan all along. Back in 1968, Nixon said that he had a plan to end the Vietnam War. It was a secret plan to end the Vietnam War. Okay, and then it turned out that it wasn't such a secret plan. Well, Joe Biden's secret plan to end COVID is that the old man is going to tell you to wear a mask and this will magically end COVID, which is weird since they've had a mask mandate in Germany, in Italy, Caught, there's a spike anyway. Here was Joe Biden suggesting that, that if he takes office in January, he's going to ask people to put on a mask for 100 days. Well, since you bamboozled us the first time with 15 days to slow the spread, and we are now what? Nine months into this? Right, it was 15 days to slow the spread. Last I checked, eight or nine months does not mean 15 days. It's different. He's now saying he wants 100 days to slow the spread 
if he uh, enters the White House. Here he is saying that, that ma those masks should stay on full time for 100 days. I think my inclination, uh, Jake, is on the first day I'm inaugurated to say I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask. Just 100 days to mask. Not forever, 100 days. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we occur that, if that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. Okay, now, as I keep saying, so, so here's the thing. What's actually going to happen here is that the cases are going to continue to spike. They're going to spike through December. Then they're going to start coming down in January. Here's my prediction, okay? And either I'll be right or I'll be wrong. So I'm at least putting it out there. They're going to start to come down. By the time of the inauguration, whether it's Trump or Biden, regardless of what happens in January, the numbers will have already started to drop. The vaccinations will have started to come out in December. By the end of February, supposedly about 100 million people will be, will be vaccinated. And at that point, if Biden is in the White House, the media will declare that Joe Biden did it. They'll declare it was only because of Joe Biden's logistical genius in getting the vaccine out to people before he was even in the White House and developing the vaccine that he had nothing to do with that did it, right? He will declare that the mask mandate did it, that the, the asking people to wear masks did it. Because this has been the pattern. The pattern has been when a Democrat says something and it does not work, then they just wait until the curve goes down and then they declare that it worked. And if a Republican does something, then it's always bad, no matter what. But Joe Biden telling people to wear masks ain't gonna change a damn thing. It is not going to change one thing. Zero things will it change. It, it, it's, it's just incredible that this is taken as follow the science stuff from Joe Biden. It is not follow the science stuff. The schools should be open. And again, shutting it all down is not a solution. It has not been a solution in Germany. They've been shutting things down there for a very, very long time. And there are real life consequences to this sort of stuff. In, in Michigan, they are continuing this, this push for a, a massive shutdown order. They, they continue to suggest that there, there must be more statewide shutdowns that uh, Christine Whitmer, that, uh, what is it, Gretchen Whitmer, that Gretchen Whitmer, the governor over there, uh, that she uh, is, um, her husband doesn't have to abide by those. He can still go fishing. Everybody else is screwed, but her husband can go fishing. Uh, well, here is a Michigan restaurant owner, owner who was uh, caught in the background of a report that was being done about shutting down businesses saying, you guys are destroying my life. Like, can we stop pretending for a second there are no downsides to these shutdowns? There was enough money to give every family, every family in this country, $20,000 to go home for two months. They chose to give it to special interests and campaign donors, the Kennedy Space Center, and they abandoned us. So you could have given me money. I'd gladly walk away for 60 days and let this virus settle down. I'm not going to do it alone. Okay. Are you going to continue to violate the state's orders and this stay open? Sta state order. This isn't an order. This is a conspiracy. This is a tyranny. What do you want to tell other restaurant owners who... Wake up. Stand up. This is America. Be free. Okay. I, I got to say, all sympathies to the restaurant owner. Seriously. If you make your own decisions in a free country, we do risk assessment every single day. Every single day we do risk assessment. We should be doing risk assessment now. And the sort of scaremongering from the media which is that everybody is equally susceptible to the virus, as I keep saying. Every single time they report the number of people who have died or the susceptibility of the virus or the, or the death rates of the virus, they should be doing it striated by age and health condition every single time. To do otherwise is an act of malfeasance. It is journalistic and informational malfeasance not to point out that this disease does not affect everybody equally. That we should not be treating 89-year-old people with congestive heart failure the same way that we treat 18-year-olds in universities. There's a whole article in the, in the New York Times today suggesting that we should shut down universities. I, I, I do love this. Okay, so the New York Times, I, I'm sorry, the Washington Post has an editorial today that basically just 
repeats all of, all of Joe Biden's talking points as per our usual arrangement. And here is what they say. They say, we must not act as a collection of free spirits in denial, but rather as a cohesive nation that recognizes the enormity of the threat. Every single person in the United States should commit themselves to wearing a face mask in public. So presumably you're like out walking your dog, you should wear a face mask. To rigorously following the rules of distancing and good hygiene, to avoid tightly enclosed spaces and events that could recklessly transmit the virus. And um, this, is my, th- this is my favorite part. So they say in here that we need to do everything that it will do what is right. What is right? Here we go. You ready? No more pockets of college students partying without masks. That's your solution? College students have to stop partying without masks? College students are the least vulnerable group of people outside of small children to the virus. Like, that's where you're putting your chief focus on college students partying without masks. Let me be clear about this. If it were up to me and I were running national COVID policy, I would have told every college student in America to be on campus. I would have told everybody above the age of 45 to basically clear out, let them party it up without the mask for two months, and then no one would have died. Okay, and then they would not be vectors of transmission. Just don't go home until you are recovered. (laughs) The big problem is that they did shut down the colleges and they sent kids who were infected with COVID back home to their parents and grandparents. That was actually a bigger vector of transmission than if you just kept the kids on campus in the first place. But according to the Washington Post, we can't have college students partying without masks. That's the big, that's the big danger. This one's my favorite. No more demonstrations threatening to liberate states. Oh, um, I noticed that uh, you're getting very, very specific about what demonstrations are allowed and which ones are not Washington Post. So demonstrations about how America is systemically racist and the police are evil. Those are, um, those are okay. But no more demonstrations threatening to liberate states. Stop that. Because the virus knows your message. The virus cares what placard you're carrying at a public demonstration. No more motorcycle rallies. How about like, what about like big indoor funerals for big public figures like say John Lewis? How about those? Those those okay? Those okay? What do you think? No more summer camps. Summer camps. We had summer camps over the summer. You know what happened? Kids didn't get infected. Kids didn't die because they're little. Okay, and what's been happening, and this is what happened in California, is that schools, private schools, wanted to reopen. And so they declared themselves summer camps in order so they could reopen. So now California is cracking down on them. So the first three recommendations by the Washington Post of what to do are completely anti-scientific. They're suggesting the chief vectors of transmission are college students partying without masks. Wrong. Demonstrations threatening to liberate states. Again, very ideologically oriented there. Summer camps. And they say church choirs and weddings that ignore mitigation members and become m- measures and become super spreading events. I, I've noticed that you have not incorporated any other indoor events that uh, that become super spreaders, and there have been many of them. So again, this is the uh, this is the take. The take is shut everything down that we don't like because kind of we we don't like them, and that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of where things are at. Okay, here's the reality about COVID: it ain't going away. We're learning to live with it. If you want to hunker down until the vaccine is ready, by all means do so if you are particularly vulnerable. Seriously. If you are 80 and you have and, and you have some sort of cancer, then stay home until the vaccine is available. If you are 40 and you are morbidly obese, stay home until the vaccine is available. I'm not kidding. Mitigate your own risk. And if you're a person who knows one of those people, stay away from them. Right? Mitigate the risk for others. But this basic idea that you can lock down everything or that Joe Biden shouting masks at the wind is going to solve all of it is just a bunch of propagandistic nonsense. All righty. Well, later today, we have two additional hours of content, so tune in for that. In the meantime, tune in to Matt Walsh's show. He's talking about critical race theory and how it's being crammed down on people at the public school level. So give his show a listen. It's always worthy of that. Otherwise, we'll see you here later today or on Monday. Have a great weekend. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.